Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 419. 419? Got an episode? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a take on an old classic weed joke, Chris. 419, got a minute? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about your crazy drug subculture. Me and my, it's like you know, I used to do this. Uh, this I wanted to make a bumper sticker that said, "Hey, it's four twenty-one. Got a time machine." <laughs> oh, it's good that you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for us, but for those idiot stoners. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Why you got to shit on the stoners? The boozers and the stoners do not get along, Chris. They don't. No, you're mad at the stoners. No, centuries past, there was a time when they all lived happily. Ooh. But until one guy got way too mellow and the other too aggressive and condescending, and then they never spoke again. Hey guys, why can't we all just hang out? Oh yeah, right, you would fucking just love to do that, wouldn't you? And ever since then, time has stopped. Why am I doing these sound effects then? These are this is a montage where you just see all the battles that were happening, like in the beginning of uh, oh, Nightwatch right. or whatever. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so specific, and I know exactly I know. what you're talking about. <laughs> I know exactly. Like, I'm sure there's other movies. At one point, there was a divide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, or like Underworld, like the lichens, the lichen and the, the vampires, the lichens and the Draculas, and the Draculas. <laughs> yeah. The lichens and the, the lichens and the Draculas. Hey, can you hey. find it weird? Could you come on those Draculas? Can you come on those Draculas? Alright. Wait, this is just the intro. Shut up. <laughs> Dog guitar. Dog guitar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pulling out all the hits. Uh, <laughs> in quotation marks. <laughs> is that a wee joke? <laughs> no. Uh, talking Dead and Walking Dead are back. I should have said the other one first. Walking Dead and Talking Dead are back. <laughs> Narcissism. Uh, October 13th. Uh, well, you're only saying that because you were part of my reality that I observed. You're not actually a real person. Um, but hey, baby. It's your world. I'm just living in a baby. October 21st, too, on Comedy Central, At Midnight Starts, uh, which is uh, essentially a sort of like, a, it's a sort of game show with comedians. We're sort of uh, going through and making fun of shit that we find on uh, on social media. It's very funny. It's really fun. I was part of a You've couple of test it. shows, and it's a blast. It I would sort of, watch it. It sort of feels like a British panel show in a weird sort of way. Definitely. Disguise as a yeah, game yeah, yeah. show. So that'll be on uh, Monday through Thursdays after Colbert at midnight, and it's called At Midnight, and Twitter handles At Midnight uh, starting October 21st. Uh, so that's that. Uh, I would like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of Nerdist Podcast. Jonah, you like to mail things. All the time, Chris. A lot of people, you know, for Jonah Radio, my other music podcast, uh-huh. a lot of people need to send me stuff through the mail. So people are sending you stuff, but it's weird. I don't know how much 
of CD ways to cost. It's going to be in a weird package, or mm-hmm. I'm just going to send you a flash drive, or maybe a record album. Yeah, you can't. You got to put a "Don't Bend" thing on there yourself. Like, I mean, you got to go and do it. They have to do it for you. That's not fun. That's ridiculous. Yeah, waiting in all those long lines. Stamps.com. You can just do it right in your own home. You can send that right off to Jonah Radio. You can print out the exact postage you need. They're going to send you a digital scale. Your mail, ca- mail carrier will come pick it up and then deliver it right to Jonah Radio himself. Yeah. Your actual name is Jonah Radio, right? I'm changing it. Yeah, yeah. You should. Jonah Radio Donovan. Right now, there's a no-risk trial. Use the promo code NERDIST. When you go to Stamps.com, there's a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Jonah Ray, um, this is the Slash episode, which was so fun. And Matt Myra was heartbroken that he wasn't there. Yeah, could have talked guitars. We didn't talk guitars at all. Could have talked dog guitars. We could have talked dog guitars. Um, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. I uh, was out of my element for the first twenty minutes, as you guys. This is one of my favorite things about having uh, about being surprised by like where the conversation goes is that I had heard that uh, Slash was a dinosaur fanatic, yeah. and so we started talking about dinosaurs, and he is legitimately like he legitimately knows dinosaurs and. So it was fun to kind of go down that path with him and, to- and see a side of him that I'd never that I never knew about. Before. I was out of my element. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know Tyrannosaurus uh, Rex and uh, Denver, the last dinosaur. That's as far as my dinosaur knowledge goes. <laughs> those, those two, those two. Yeah, yeah. Dino, I know a little about Dino. Yeah. Yeah, but then beyond that, so beyond that's like, that, it's yeah, like three yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Slash has a movie right now that he's uh, produced. It's a horror movie called Nothing Left to Fear. It's in theaters October fourth and on demand October eighth. And you know who's in? No, I mean, there's a lot of people in Nothing to Fear. Uh, Anne Hache is in it, and uh, and James Tupper. But uh, Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown, love Clancy Brown. Slash produced the movie because he's uh, he's a, he's a horror fanatic, and um, and so we talked to him a little about that too. But really fun episode, the Nurse Podcast number four nineteen with Slash. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome. This is rad. <laughs> it's our clubhouse. This is awesome. <laughs> we do our live shows downstairs and we do a little do recording. So if you want them, you don't have yeah. to have them if you don't like them. Okay. Slash. So what are we talking about? I don't know. We're just going to shoot the shit for a while and then and then we'll release you back into the world. Okay. Do you know a guy named um, Bob Morales? I know the name. Sculpture guy? Yeah. He's amazing. I've been trying to get in touch with him. He made a lot of my shit back in the in the day, oh, like really? in the '90s. Do you work and for then, Boeing at one point? The the Boeing, the sculpture people. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rapping with Kyle. <laughs> <clears throat> He's a deep nerd vein, real yeah, Did you yeah. guys? Did you guys oh. get into a deep sculpture? A deep sculpt- yeah, sculpture vein. We just got into a reminiscing nerdy thing. What was it? What were you guys talking There's about? There's a guy <clears throat> that I used to. Uh, I get, I used to buy all these dinosaur sculptures. Oh, One of yes. these guys who's very anatomically correct and mm-hmm. has a great imagination for doing these uh, these uh, dinosaur panoramas, <laughs> you know, like sometimes really big ones. And I'd commissioned him a couple times to make stuff for me. So I had tons of his stuff up until like we were just talking until I put everything in storage, and then eventually 
uh, sold it all or gave it all to charity. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> so now I have to start over. But I was just thinking, you know, I'm sure he saw where a bunch of his stuff was at the auction house. Oh, it must have uh, been like, what happened? <laughs> 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 what did I do, Slash? What did you I do? Know, like, is, is, is nothing sacred? <laughs> I could put feathers on him. Do you want me to put yeah, feathers yeah, on yeah. him? <laughs> you know, no, he was, he, he was actually way ahead of his time as far as all that goes. Like, oh, he'd right. already gotten into this. This is like 90, 94, 95, 96, through the, the end of the 90s. Anyway. Where, do you, where do you fall in the uh, Archaeopteryx uh, d- debate? Uh, well, I mean, there's there was an Archaeopteryx. Yes, but just in terms of it <laughs> like, being like the birds, like a, the winged dinosaur, I'm a, I'm a, the winged I'm a reptile. Great believer in the whole avian thing. Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's it all points to it, and it's so obvious when you look at the you know the skeletons and and the similarities and the hip bones and all that. That stuff is very. You look at a, a, a T Rexes or any of the theropods feet, and it's pretty telling. That they look. I mean, you yeah. just look at a fucking ostrich and be like, Oh no, yeah, or an emu or a cassowary yeah. or any of those big flightless birds, and you see a dinosaur. Where do the pterosaurs come in? They're reptiles. They're, reptiles. Ju- they're just reptiles with the. They just have the webbing that they can. Yeah, float. exactly. Yeah. They they think that they had fur on them. Oh wow! Some of them had fur on them, more akin to bats. Yeah. The yeah. idea of of, of rethinking. Dinosaurs as as having yeah as as having fur or feathers uh, instead of just the warm, way that warm cuddly mammals yeah just no, warm, I, well, I don't just see it like that no. yeah. giant cuddly adorably huge That's why so many people got eaten they just wanted to hug them they just wanted to hug dinosaurs yeah. so many people got eaten what are you talking about oh I'm sorry that was yeah uh, dude, yeah was, you're right you're, that was you're about thinking about Flintstones yeah. <laughs> because that's what happened what Ultimately, documentaries did you guys watch no 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 the dinosaurs <laughs> definitely revolted in the, no, in the but, Flintstones yeah. you know what the big thing that's going on right right now is all these invent. Evangelical. Oh, that all the dinosaur bones were buried all over. No, no. Well, that the dinosaurs lived alongside humans, and they were actually on the ark, but they were just babies. Uh huh. (laughs) And I see them talking to groups of five hundred to a thousand people. About this, well, uh, like, well you know the the dinosaurs in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the one near Palm Springs, or that got uh, bought yeah, by yeah. the uh, that's yeah. A, yeah the brontosaurus, which used to just be the gift shop, is now like uh, it's a creationism museum. Oh, oh, oh really? Yeah, so you can get coloring books with Jesus riding a brontosaurus. Oh, but that's the home of Do you have any dreams? Yes, I'm all alone. I'm rolling a big donut and a snake wearing a vest. Like that's yeah. the fucking key. That's exactly. the key line from that movie. Mm-hmm. Right before he hits heads for the Alamo. God damn it! Well, they, I guess the creation museum in Kentucky is that where it is? Does it oh, have, there, there is a creation museum somewhere, and, and I think there there are like kids with dinosaurs. I think God's Green I haven't Earth been is a creation museum. Following it that closely, I just <laughs> happened to be channel surfing and watched this guy. This was a couple of years ago, and saw this guy talking about dinosaurs living alongside people and how it was fact and blah blah blah. And and then I've seen it a lot since then. But I remember just being stunned. Like you know, you're, you're channel surfing. You usually yeah, walk yeah. right by that guy. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, for some reason, something about dinosaur, and I stopped and I listened to this whole sermon about the reality of dinosaurs and people living together. Did did he have any science behind it, or did he just well, say no, it's I mean, fact? The whole thing is 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 that the world has only been here for a certain amount of time, right? As, and the people have always populated it. They refuse to believe in anything prior to that. And what is and it? So dinosaurs have to fall into the, have to And now, since because before they they discounted they were they they discounted dinosaurs existing at all. Yeah. But now that they've had to accept that dinosaurs existed, they said, "Oh well, yeah, but those lived with people." Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! How do we get around? I had a bit that I was trying to make work for my comedy special last year, and I never. I just I thought it was such a great concept, and but the audience 
uh, reminded me that it, they did not agree. But the idea was that when you look at the history of religion and science, that religion has constantly had to ebb its definitions to accommodate for science, mm-hmm. but you've never seen the reverse happen. Oh, that's funny. Like you would never turn on the Discovery well, this Channel. Was, this was a great case. And of that. that was exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Like you wouldn't turn on the Discovery Channel and go, uh, well, we used to think that um, the sun was this large plasma ball at the middle of our solar system. Now we know it's just an angry chariot of fire horses. <laughs> you know, like it, it, if they never, uh, they never ebb the other way. Like right, science yeah. has never been like, oh, you're right. Oh, sorry, sorry, you guys. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, you know, science is is a is a, it's a very you know black and white science. Is you know everything has to be proven. There's they don't believe in anything obviously if it's not proven. Sure. And so you know they they have to do all their homework and. <laughs> They're very, very serious about what they do and making sure that anything that they discover has to be proven, you know, and has to be recorded and has to be named and all that kind yeah. of stuff. That goes along with everything, that, you know, that's scientific fact. Right. Yeah. So it's really hard to, to, to for them to miss anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I remember we, had, you believe? we had 80 different scientists on the same subject <laughs> yeah. or 800 of them going, waiting for the guy to fall off his pedestal, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that's it. It's that, it's, that constant, it's that constant search for a new truth as a Opposed to right. the constant uh, um, retaining of, of an the, old the protection truth, the protection of an old truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had uh, Chris Jericho on the podcast a while oh, back, no, and he's a big dinosaur buff. Too. He is a dinosaur. We buff. text about it all the time. Yes, <laughs> well, he, te- he he texted you from our podcast asking you a dinosaur question. Oh, oh yeah. because he was like Slash is a huge dinosaur guy. And I'm like, what? well, there's only in 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 my profession. I only have uh, he's pretty much I think the only real serious dino geek out there that I know of you know so yeah we text them yeah. <laughs> just like, I send him photos well nobody else appreciates my dino stuff so I'm <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, like, who exactly. else do I talk to when you find your friend I tried like, to yeah. bring my kids into it and they're like you know the Lakers are playing <laughs> are they playing yeah, with dinosaurs dork. wouldn't it be greater if it was a team of velociraptors yeah, throwing yeah. a ball around but I always uh, I, I, I am fascinated by dino science in the from the standpoint of that they can find like a chip of a femur and they go well they can this, identify and they can it, yeah. completely identify it yeah. they can absolutely identify no, it. I have I have a friend who uh, is a, a professor in Canada and she uh, I'm trying to remember the, the Tyrell Museum as I, I met her there and she and I text a lot because she's one of those people that can look at a, a piece of a femur and go this is this dinosaur wow. and it's really amazing because you know it's it's very easy to go what the hell are you talking about how can you identify Identify an entire animal, or you know, <laughs> with this one piece of bone. But they're 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 so obsessed. You know, they get they really have they have okay in the in the Tyrell Museum, which is in uh, uh, it's outside of Toronto. Um, anyway drawing a blank so they have drawers and drawers and drawers and drawers of bones that have been discovered over you know the last almost not maybe not 100 years but like 80 years or something like that and some of it is most of it's identified the stuff that isn't are just these little pieces that haven't really gotten a name yet but I mean they have to memorize and know these Mm. pieces of bone inside and out and a lot of recent discoveries are are bones that have been laying around for years and years that were miscategorized Um, or or weren't categorized yet at all and oh, then they wow. find a, a skeleton that's missing a piece and somebody goes hey remember that piece oh um, shit 100 years ago 
and, and next thing you know, they've all of a sudden identified a new species. So it's a oh, puzzle, basically. They're just solving yeah. giant yeah, animal yeah. puzzles. Really wacky puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> what is your uh, What is your favorite dinosaur? Do you uh, have a fa- Can I, you pick a favorite dinosaur? I, I can't really. I mean, I, I love a lot of the the small raptor dinosaurs. Before we, most of us knew what a Velociraptor was. There was a Deinonychus, and I always liked that one, um, which is just a bigger raptor. Right. <laughs> but most of the theropod dinosaurs, I think the the, and I also like predatory birds as well. So right. You know, they they sort of, and I, I like the Ceratopsians, and I like some of the pre dinosaurs, like Demetrodon. And yes. Stuff. Those kind of like lizardy, yeah, you know, yeah. like those giant kind of blobby. Yeah. Where they like, well, they're not blobby. Well, blobby in the Don't sense. Don't go there. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at when you look at like some of like the proto dinosaurs, they just don't look as sculpted yet. At least the way that they're depicted. Well, they and they have the splayed out arms. Yeah, they have the splayed so out arms. Like lizards. And, That's right. Yeah. Um, I saw an interesting story that this this guy has a theory, and I don't know if it's a widely accepted theory by now because I just stopped following it. But the one story I read was that this guy believed that um, Tyrannosaurus Rex was essentially just a scavenger and Jack Horner I guess it was Jack Horner Jack Horner's got a great you know I mean he's he's very he he sees things his way and uh, and he's and he's very right I mean he's done a lot of he's made a lot of great discoveries and had a lot of great theories but he does he has this one about the T-Rex being hey you know just because he's big and got huge teeth and he's got these great legs um, you know he was just a scavenger and he tries all the other uh, you know paleontologists nuts you know because then they start <laughs> fighting amongst themselves about how fast it could run well what about those useless alarms and yeah anyway and I, I i i appreciate jack horner's whole he's got a visual he's got a a, a, a way you know that he describes how the t-rex probably looked which is all bloody and stinky and like his face is orange because right. it's just constantly scavenging oh, and, yeah, yeah. and I, I i feel very much that the t-rex was an opportunist myself but i don't doubt that it could kill on its own I, sure you know, i think it was just it, it went after everything probably tried not to work too hard yeah. you know but but went after any kind of opportunity you know injured animals uh hmm. you know anything that just happened to be stupid enough to run directly in front of him yeah <laughs> well because um I, I think the other part of his theory might have been something along the lines of that uh that if it fell over that it's kind of fucked at yeah. that point because yeah. that, how does it how but does then it get almost back up? All, all the big dinosaurs are in that category really if you think about it no, I guess that's Any true. of them fall over. You know, yeah. a, Diplodocus, a Diplodocus falls over. Yep. I mean, what's the chances of getting a 100-foot-long dinosaur to right itself? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure a kangaroo can, a kangaroo there can get There was a lot at stake to staying upright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I guess, yeah, well, the can- can- kangaroos lie on their sides. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, they can put themselves down on their sides, you know. Right. Um, I'm sure a T-Rex could lay itself down as well, but if it fell forward... I like the yeah. romantic idea of a dinosaur just laying itself down yeah. by a by a bonfire. <laughs> Hello, struck. Hello yeah. there, I'm nursing. <laughs> <laughs> Scavenged all this wonderful brontosaurus mm. meat. <laughs> uh, is it? Uh, is it? It must be interesting for you with people. I mean, because now with social media and the fact that you um, can talk and connect direct, more directly to your fans, that uh, I'm sure people are not surprised to find that you're a dinosaur fanatic. But I guess in the early days. When you first kind of became famous, if you started talking to a scientist about a scientist about dinosaurs, are they like, "What the fuck's happening right now?" Like, do they? Did you freak people well, out? I mean, like, uh, 
you know, in the it, I I go frequent the museums and stuff, and I always probably looked out of place walking around the Berlin the Berlin Natural History Museum. But I would just do it. I go to every country. I I go to the respected Natural History Museum. But I started seeking a lot of these guys out in the '90s, like Jack Horner and Jack Baker and or Robert Bacher. Sorry, um, and and uh, the guy from Canada whose name Chris something or other that from Terrell Museum. And they I would pop up. And they'd be like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> and I would know what I was talking about. And we'd have these conversations. But at the same time, there was always that look in, in, in their eye like, you're just a fucked up rock star. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you talking to me about this? Yeah. Did you try – like did you use – like when you were touring around the world, did you like like relish for like an off day just to have time that to run to a – That would be pretty much my only um, destination. You know, like we travel all these different countries and I'm not much of a tourist. And I would I'd just stay in the hotel bar. But if there yeah. was a museum, then I – I would get up and go. Oh, wow. Yeah. I really love the Natural History Museum in London for the Darwin exhibit. Their oh, Darwin a, exhibit is fucking it's stunning. It's museum. One, one, of the, one of the classics, one of the great museums, and you just stand there and go, wow, because it's all so old. Do you yeah. own any dinosaur bones? Do I, I? Do you own, like, a skeleton? No, I don't own a skeleton or anything. I have some bits and pieces I've had over the years and stuff that people give me, but it's all small. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the kind of, like, uh, I'm not the kind of collector that's going to go drop a bunch of money on a, money, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I have nothing to prove. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there is something, though, that's about to be auctioned off, which um, it is a young uh, T-Rex uh fighting uh triceratops and it's been unearthed and it's being auctioned and it's like nine million dollars and they're trying to figure out who's going to buy it and hopefully a museum will buy it but it's a lot of money nine nine million dollars is a lot of money for uh you know a government run yeah. a government owned institution to pay for and so everybody's you know on pins and needles trying to figure out if it's some private collector that has absolutely you know some rich guy could buy it that has absolutely no real appreciation yeah. really, what if like Justin Bieber bought right. and started you know Instagramming I mean? pictures of him on the back yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Canada yeah. and, and put like a t-shirt on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a Same. baseball cap. Yeah, yeah. backwards yeah. baseball cap. Saying that these dinosaurs would have been Bieber fans. T-Rex right. taking yeah. a selfie. Would have been yeah. believers. They would have been believers. believers, just like Anne Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just writes Selena forever on the ribs. Like, what are you uh, doing? Why uh, would you do that? But like, the hopes is that maybe a private person would, like, with that amount of disposable money, would buy it and, and then donate bestow- it. Yeah, donate it to a. Well, we'll see what happens. So there's a lot of people just sort of like holding their breath to see how that turns out. But with dinosaurs, a lot of... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, you know the story about Sue, right? The, the T-Rex? T-Rex and yeah. you, that was found, that was discovered by a private uh, arche- or, uh, paleontologist um, or uh, amateur or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a girl and her team and they unearthed the whole thing and then the government came and took it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yoink. Said so this, belong, this belongs to, uh, I don't know if it was Montana or Wyoming or wherever it was. And so they came and there was a big fight over this thing. You're talking about one of the biggest T-Rexes ever found, if not the biggest uh the, and the most complete skeleton so it's in a lot of c- crates yeah and uh and then they put it in storage it was, while they battled this thing out legally and then finally it went up for auction and the new york museum bought it uh, that's sort of the long and short of it <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where the state comes into like oh yeah we left this here yeah, thanks, yeah. For, uh, yeah, thanks yeah. for thanks for thanks for thanks for pulling this out yeah, for yeah. Appreciate <laughs> that. we were gonna come back to get this but it looks like yeah. you already got it out yeah, so we'll just take oh, it yeah. um my uh, i was gonna say that my uh, a lot of what people understood about dinosaurs came from advertising that a, a friend, my, my my best friend and I had written a song uh, years ago 
called American Dinosaurs, and it was all about, like, you know, patriot. It was a fake, jingoistic, Toby Keith-style song about, like, the dinosaurs died so we could have oil. Now, we knew that dinosaurs did not become oil, that that was a myth that was propagated right, right, by right. the, I think, the Esso company, or, like, one of the oil companies. Okay. That dinos- I know that. I know the myth. I didn't know who. Yeah, who, it, yeah. It, it was some type of, it was a petroleum company that propagated the myth, and that, not that, you know, fossil fuels are things like, um, you know, fermented and decomposed uh, plant matter, but right. that dinosaurs just fucking, some people for decades just thought dinosaurs just like they just melt into well, because oil because they called it fossil fuel they called it fossil fuel yeah that's why that's why oh fossils it must be oil um, right. but uh, but fortunately now at least a lot of people understand that that's nanotyrannus is the I'm sorry I'm sitting that here listening to term. you that's the that's the name of another species of T-Rex that is a smaller one that they're not sure if it's a baby T-Rex or if it's its own species uh-huh. and that's what's fighting with the triceratops it's either, I just had to say that there has to be a there has to be a museum somewhere that has a slash wing and it's all no, no. no god they don't like to see me running around there why? <laughs> just doesn't fit the model. But that's exactly why. It, that's exactly why it works. I mean, like you, you know, you could bring in a generation of young fans that wouldn't necessarily yeah. think they should go in a museum and they go, well, Slash thinks that dinosaurs are cool, well, so it's okay to like dinosaurs. I, I don't think dinosaurs need any help from me to get <laughs> young fans. Well, at least... But, <laughs> but you look fancy enough to be in a museum. You wear a top hat most of the time. You know, that's a, that's a fancy man thing. That's what millionaires do. They wear top <laughs> yeah. hats. But it, the, I, I, I have, you know, for a long time when I'm on the road too, I, I did like going to museums until... But didn't you find like... Um, with your schedule, you kind of the same as a comic schedule, where you go, uh, oh well, I only have to really you know work at night, so my days will be open, but they're not because they're you have not, to do no. press, no, or you, you have, have to have get sleep, or you day have to, off. Yeah, you have yeah. To have, I can't, I can't be, even be bothered trying to get up in the morning before all that other stuff starts, just to sneak out to the museum real quick, have a gander, and then pop back in the mm-hmm. hotel. And do, <laughs> no, it's why were you late, Slash? If there's uh, a day off, yeah. <laughs> I was helping scientists sort out dinosaur bones. No, really, no, really, that was the reason. Um, yeah, I'm proactive, but. Not that problem. <laughs> <laughs> what is the what? What is uh, in in your mind? If someone were going to go to the best dinosaur museum in the United States, what where would that well, be? Well, I was I, well. The New York Museum, Chicago Field Museum are great. Um, you know, and with all fairness, uh, the L.A. Museum, which used to be the worst prehistoric monument, you know, or not a prehistoric monument, but a display of anything, you know, dinosaur. Um, they just did a whole remodeling thing and brought in all this new stuff, and it's amazing. Oh, nice. It's one of the coolest museums I've been to. I do remember getting um, uh, literature from the Natural History Museum about, like, we're, you know, we're building more, you know, we're putting together yeah, more dinosaurs, it, don't it, they? They had, like, a dino drive. It's really gorgeous what they did, you know. And, I mean, because I hated that museum, and I live here, and I was, yeah. like, so disappointed that I couldn't just pop down the street and go visit a great museum in Los Angeles. So uh, they did all that, and so it's great. But there's a lot. You know, New York is, is one of my favorites, and I said Chicago. Pittsburgh got, has a great museum. Um, I know I'm leaving, I'm leaving one of them out. But my, so far, my favorite natural history museum you know, in the vicinity of the United States is that Tyrell Museum in Canada. It's nothing but dinosaurs. Is that, oh. is that the, your favorite one in the world? I wouldn't say it's very new. And yeah. I sort of like the old funkiness of some of the old European museums. Yeah. I mean, the, I was mentioning the Berlin Museum uh, earlier, and it's it's it has a, a herd of, of uh, iguanodons that the way that they saw them back then, which was standing on all... Uh, on two legs, but um, but I think it was with their completely erect, with their tails dragging oh, kind wow. of thing. So there's a whole herd of them all standing like that. And it's a great it's a, it's it's a great statement to you know the early days, early discoveries. It's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool looking. 
Um, so when uh, you you were, I didn't realize this about you, but you were British born. Yeah. So, but you didn't. You moved to the states when you were a kid. Like, I was like six. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I you know, I used to go to Crystal Palace when I was a kid because I as soon as I was. As soon as I can remember, I was totally into dinosaurs, snakes, horror movies, all that stuff. Was, hmm. Like as far back as I can remember, and uh, my dad used to take me to Crystal Palace, which is where, in the Victorian era, when we first, very first, discovered dinosaurs, started putting together, putting them together, and we thought they were all just big four-legged lizards. And they have actual uh, full-scale models in this park with foliage and all kinds of stuff, and water and things oh, coming nice. out of the water. And it's been standing there for the last you know like 100 years wow Fuck. where are we with dinosaur colors do we know or do they are they just well, assuming that they were they've been actually been able to get pigment off of feathers and it's a limited amount of pigment but it's real huh. and that's a recent discovery but and they've got they've had a lot of you know skin and mummified dinosaurs uh but they haven't been able to figure out any colors they just don't know yet so so for now the default color is just greenish brown. well i just think it'll, it's always relative to uh the environment that they were in you know because if you look at most animals they sort of adapt to the environment they're in currently so since they can always figure out well this one lived in us this used to be a swamp and blah blah, blah. Yeah. then if it was a water-based animal then it might have been you know one of four or five different sort of variations of <laughs> you know what I mean? but it's really still just up to the imagination i think that's part of the magic of the whole thing is yeah, not yeah. really knowing that is kind of i mean and because we take things for granted because we take knowledge for granted now mm-hmm. because you know well the internet and the, you kind of go someone's got to know right in yeah. the world yeah, someone you, if you look nothing? it up on google you, it pretty much says the same it says the exact same thing um but you, you did you come to los angeles first when you yeah. your family I'm so a, you i lived in laurel canyon oh did you oh, really wow. yeah where did you go to high school i went well high school i went to a couple of few different okay. <laughs> I, I went to um, i went to hollywood fairfax and beverly hills oh, oh wow and then i left beverly hills high in 11th grade by that time i was in continuation so i was really only in to smoke cigarettes yeah. <laughs> I worked full time only went to school like a couple hours a day you know you work at your own pace yeah. and, uh, and uh, spent most of the time looking out the window smoking cigarettes at the kids in the real school <laughs> <laughs> anyway but uh, yeah I went to a few I went to a few different junior highs but I, I was basically raised in the sort of Laurel Canyon and the Doheny and Sunset oh era. wow yeah. uh, I, I've been here since 88 and uh, and it's just amazing to me to see... Where are you from? I was born in Kentucky, and I grew up in Tennessee, but my family moved a lot. I was, yeah. I moved. I've lived all over the Did country. Did you go to races? Uh, in Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, went yeah. once. Yeah, the Derby? Yeah. Of course. Like, it's what a big, scene. Big deal there. Well, my, <laughs> two of my parents' um, best friends when we lived in Louisville were, were horse breeders. Mm. And so they had this horse farm, and we'd go back and visit them. And for some reason at the time, I was like, it's so much fun to get up at 4 a.m. and shovel stables. Like, as a kid, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the smell, like, the smell of... This sounds really weird, but the smell of manure is like oddly calming to me because yeah, no, as a small farm child, people have that. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, I can say this though: in Kentucky, the after parties for those Kentucky derbies, some of the best partying I've ever seen. <laughs> really, <laughs> it starts early with the mint juleps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just, starts and ends early with the moonshine. I mean, there's parties all over town. You know, it's, but it's but it's also funny because a lot of the people are are der, are derby dressed. 
So yeah. it's like they have these sort of like coats and these dress, but they're just fucking tanked. Yeah, they're tanked, <laughs> and the women. Yeah. <laughs> you can say no, it. I'm not, I'm not okay, it. very polite. That's very polite of you. So you you grew up, but just even since I've been here in '88, just watching Los Angeles. I mean, so, so much of Greater Los Angeles is so inhabitable now, and it, I remember it more like. Oh yeah, you don't want to go this far east, or you don't want to go here, you don't want to go into Echo Park. Like it's all, I don't know. Los Angeles has become really inhabitable, yeah. but even as large as it is, kind of like what you said, I feel like there was not a lot of cultural things here. No, LA is more of in the now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, it's got some backstory. LA is like not much. Do we need a museum? Is that going to get me famous? Okay, that's it's not going to get me famous. To look at the history. I mean, it was a desert until like nineteen. I don't know, nineteen thirty. Yeah, when they had to start making yeah. it farmable. Did you? So it doesn't have a lot of history. Yeah. <laughs> What's well, uh, like you know, Burbank? The guy who uh, like founded the town of Burbank. His name was Dave Burbank. Yeah, it's like, just the guy. Just the most... Tarzan was named after Tarzan. <laughs> it's just Literally. the most boring yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. It's just... did, did no, like Johnny but... Weissmuller live there? Well, I, I guess when they shot that that the, I forgot which version of Tarzan it was. Who the actor was. Uh, uh, I, I know who it is, but I can't think of his name. name Johnny Weissmuller is the only one that I can remember the name of. Well, no, there's another one. Uh, uh, the famous, real famous actor. Uh, Stan Tarzan? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Can we get that on the... Uh... Um, but yeah, because the, the, you know, I lived in Tarzana for a year. Did you really? And I found that out. That was a piece of <laughs> you know, Just one trivia day. for me. Why is yeah. this Tarzana? But the thing about L.A. is that is that it's got a short history, but it's very, very colorful. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine Sunset Strip? There's that movie. I haven't seen it yet. Mayor right? Sunset Strip, or no, this new one that's a documentary on the history of the Sunset Strip. Oh shit! But if you look in books, like when I was a kid, so many changes from when I first moved here up until you know, till now. Like I have vivid memories of of all these things that aren't there anymore. And prior to that, there's a whole you know a, a whole you know history that's very sort of. Uh, you know, c- celebratory, I guess. Yeah. But you got to live the Sunset Strip <laughs> mythos <laughs> in it was, the 80s. It was a, I have to say that, that from when I first moved here, um, it was pretty much bigger than life. It was so vibrant. I mean, it's it's still cool now, but I mean, it was so creative and it was so explosive. But it wasn't so, nice like it is now. Now it's boutique-y. Well, it was know? still sort of nice. Oh, it was? Uh, yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's not strip mall nice, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it's just like it was. It was very artsy. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, was it that? Because like uh, I watched that. Uh, there was a documentary on David Geffen, yeah. and he talks about like starting the offices for his, you know, his label. Like uh, my, right my dad the... worked for David then. Oh, really? So, in that, so in that, in the in the Geffen Roberts. Yeah, your dad office. was a yeah. designer. Was your dad a designer? Yeah, yeah. I, I started first working with David when he was doing album covers for what was the label called? Uh, it wasn't Chrysalis. No, um, no, no. Geffen is, but before that, before he had a. Uh, uh, fuck, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, but like Joni Mitchell yeah, and, and, and uh, Jackson Brown and all yeah, these different people were on Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And so my dad did those album covers. So I was raised into that scene. Oh, fuck. Which yeah. was the, like, which was the spillover from like the Laurel Canyon kind of. It is. It is. They all live there. Yeah, yeah, David yeah. David included. They all live there. So like, we all lived in this community, and so it was very much, very much like more than a scene. It was a very communal kind of thing. The whole sort of like from Sun, from Santa Monica up to Mulholland. Oh yeah, from Doheny. That's where the Zappas yeah. were up there too. Like, yeah, they're they, still there. They lived on the same street. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was the it corner was a... of Lookout. Uh, the cor- corner of Lookout and Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a really or the, no Laurel Canyon and Lookout. That's a, that's the corner. Yeah, 
Well, all that construction's been going on for years and years and years. That was the original Zappa house. Yeah. Oh, wow. They used to have it's, swans. It's, yeah. I, used to blow, I used to be totally fascinated with that. So I'm a big animal freak. And they yeah. had these swans, which they don't have around. They have swans in, in lakes in, in England, yeah. but they don't have them here. And so I said, swans. That's really funny you say that. The yeah. first time, I've, I've only been to the Playboy Mansion like twice. And then I was like, well, I don't need to come here ever again. But the first time I went. Why is that? I, I don't know. It just felt, it just doesn't feel like, it just didn't feel, it's definitely on my scene. He's allergic to tits. I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> no time is never. Yeah, they, the right they make it. Right. <laughs> I don't know what happens. They make my dick impenetrable. Come on, guys. What? You didn't hit it. I did. I no, you missed it. That's better. Right. Um, but I was so fascinated by his monkey cages because he had these little monkey cages oh, yeah. there. And then you would hand them grapes and this is these tiny little hominid hands would just tear, just peel the grapes open. That was a turn off for you? Yeah, it was a huge <laughs> turn off. You, you don't do well to Zoo, I'd think. be like, <laughs> spit it out, Binky. Now put it back in. Asylum Records. That's that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asylum, Asylum Records. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I've no, got, no, no, no. No, it's okay. important that we talk about your monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your tone would suggest it's not important yeah, that we yeah. talk about these amazing creatures. Your next record, monkey issues. <laughs> <laughs> How monkeys ruined my sex. Little monkeys ruined my sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I like the turn. It was like, we'll talk about dinosaurs for 20 minutes. Fuck your monkeys. They're not fucking reptiles. <laughs> no, monkey lizard? Fine. But we're not mm. talking about monkeys. But that whole period of... Uh, 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 and then just sort of what it what it became. Did you... Did you see the commercialism happening, or was it the same? I mean, like, every generation goes through the same thing. Oh, something's indie and cool, and then all of a sudden it becomes very, very commercial. Well, I think I recognize... Um, yeah, that's a that's a good subject. Um, like, for me, it's it's funny. I think it's just the evolution of kids, because, you know, when you're born into an era, there's certain things about that era that you don't necessarily like. And there's no reason for that. There was no one explained it to me or just something I innately felt. And for me, the, the commercialism of the ideal of the sex of the 60s was something that bothered me. You know, yeah. it, it became very sort of like everybody's a hippie kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And too much peace and love and too many flowers and all that kind of stuff after a while just seemed like there's aspects of it that I loved. But then there was this sort of. Uh, yeah, very commercial aspect of it that you sold. That was like, okay, come off it. You know? <laughs> and then it, you know, and then in the early '70s and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's when the '60s. That's what the '70s was: is a commercial version of <laughs> the '70s, and you know, and 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 sort of like uh, you know, just taking advantage of everything and everybody getting you know, uh, the whole free sex thing. You just became like, well, let's do it for money, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing um, this for free? Yeah. Yeah, the, We're bad the, the free people. concert turned into the you know the big epic stadium or, or right. arena rock thing and so on and so forth. But I mean the, the thing about that I love about all like the the 60s you know what I know of the 60s for I was only born on the half what 65 so I only really caught the tail end of it was the, but the 60s and 70s and 80s at least there was something happening. Right. At least around here, you know, there was like there was three different scenes going on during the 80s and the 70s. There was all different kinds of mishmash of of musical and artistic stuff going on. So it was pretty exciting. There is no scene in L.A. right now. Yeah, Yeah, there's non-existent. Yeah, at least at least from what I'm used to. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be the real small subset of scenes. There's always like, you know, like the smell. Like a group of people at a party? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean like a movement. A gathering. Yeah, I can't. I I want to be able to like uh, I remember 
like uh, when in like the early 2000s in LA where it's like a, there was a bunch of kind of indie rock emo kids that just started making electronic music and fucking and doing cocaine and that seemed like it was like all of a sudden everybody was doing well, it's, that it's sort of like with the DJ scene now but yeah. it's not it's not a movement it's just a fad it's very you know? true yeah. I mean it's stuff it's all relative it's all it's all influenced by something prior that you know and it sort of evolves but it doesn't become like this big you know the, the, the scene here in the 70s was was definitely like earth moving. Kind yeah. Of. Well, Do you think it's because everybody like it, 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 it wasn't as much of a it dissipated it's in the late yeah. 80s. It's niche it's niche it's it's a sort of it's the nicheifying of our culture and that yeah. everyone can have their very 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 specific yeah. needs met and so there's not really a reason on a larger big Plus picture we're all scale on laptops to, and stuff. we're all yeah. on laptops <laughs> we're all of our fucking faces in our phones yeah. Yeah. Wait, no wait till the virtual thing comes out no, oh, no right, you're yeah. not going to see anybody <laughs> no. no not not at all it's like but that, you, no good no you good you good i was thinking maybe it was because like you know virtual headgear yeah like we're like you know no one's like you know back then there was only a couple radio stations listened to so like if a radio station in LA is playing the same like bands over and over again everybody in the city is going to be into that everyone's going to be Influenced by the same stuff, as opposed to now, where like you know, the, a fra- everyone just listens to what they want. Well, that's the problem. Is that LA is too big? It's so big that the lowest common denominator is not that. Like, I don't think of LA radio as oh, LA radio. That's where it's happening. I haven't really listened to radio. There, in- there was a period there when that was actually the case. <laughs> when it, when <laughs> yeah. it was actually yeah, when KLOS and early stages KLOS, KLOS and KMET and uh, that there was definitely sort of an LA radio thing but it's it's all you know basically everything has sort of been bought up by the <laughs> by the corporations yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well when you guys when you guys started did you did you was it really just well i just want to play music and i don't give a shit or did you have a plan i mean did, were you was there any sort of method to it or no man i when i when i let's see i mean i was uh i was racing bmx and listening to a lot of music and obviously exposed to a lot of music through my parents and 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 all that but i just happened to pick up the guitar because my best friend had one and he he knew how to bang on it and i was like oh that's cool you know and i was always fascinated by like going to see linda ronstadt at the troubadour and they're setting up the gear you know and like that used to just get my attention and and then obviously when they played or going to sessions and stuff like that so i always had a thing for what musicians did but i never aspired to actually be one and when i was uh you know i remember uh exactly it was like i was just before my birthday when i was 14 in in the summertime and steve adler had this guitar and and i was like that's cool i want to do that (laughs) it was totally innocent didn't wasn't influenced by raging led zeppelin parties or you know keith richards or at that time it wasn't about all that and so i picked it up and it just that within a 24-hour period i went from being a bike a semi-pro bike racer to a totally amateur guitar player <laughs> and that's all i did and wow and that was it and what year know? is this around that's like late 70s right well let's see uh 1980 i would have been 15 so 79 okay wow and that wow that's really interesting because or, when, or yeah 79. i remember that sort of early bmx movement where it got really because i had it was I had, in the early stages like second generation it was after just Steve thompson and yeah all it was guys. just sort of it was just i mean i remember seeing like those like those literally just like dirt it was just dirt and these fucking kind of rugged bikes right that yeah. kids well i mean we we 
you know, I'd, I'd like to pride, our, pride myself in the gang that I used to ride with, which were all Hellraisers. But we, we were into, you know, quality bikes. So we just didn't have any money. <laughs> so, and we, we only raced on the weekends. Some of us had jobs because, some, you know, we were ranged in age from like 17 down to, I was like the youngest one. So I was 14 hmm. or 17, 13, 14. And uh, we spent the rest of the week terrorizing, literally terrorizing all of West Hollywood and down Fairfax. <laughs> it was like a bike gang. Really bad, yeah. you know, getting chased by the cops all the time and just bad news R- racing over laurel canyon during peak hour oh, Jesus. <laughs> 20 of us right um uh, but uh and so we would pick up equipment here and there <laughs> <laughs> but then it's really it just switched over to guitar and that was completely immersed in guitar and the only reason i used my bike at that time was to get from point a to point b hmm. It was weird. Well, so, like, I guess being a BMX guy and being a guitar player is like when you first said, it, I thought you were doing the both at the same time. No. Yeah, except that you can break your hands when you're riding BMX. I know, but you don't think about that. Kind I of guess stuff. you yeah. don't think about Only that. Only for on hell track. Now, yeah. I still have bikes, and every time I get on one, you know, it's like, you know, I start jumping off of stuff, you know, and you, you, you're going to naturally, at some point, you're going to fall, right? Yeah. So you're sitting on the ground, you go to get back up, and you're like, God, I got a tour in two weeks. What happens if I break my wrist? That would be a painful phone call to make. I broke know? my collarbone trying to bunny hop yeah. over one of those parking islands in a grocery store parking lot. Yeah. My back tire caught, and I just fucking slid on my shoulder. Yeah. Not not good times. But I I used to have a bike out on the road with with guns back in the early days. I think we were opening, you know, like during the whole opening period, you know, like we're opening for the Colt and Alice Cooper and Motley Crue and all. I had a bike, right? And then we were opening for Aerosmith and I used to take my bike and I would jump off the stage into the stands, <laughs> you know, and all this crazy stuff, usually with a bottle of vodka or something yeah. in the other hand <laughs> and then one day i got up or i came to got to the venue and went to go get my bike and it just wasn't there that and, was... and it just disappeared completely like I, no one said anything about oh. it, it just and I, I you know of course i discovered like, it was insurance kind yeah, of thing that was, that, that, the, the aerosmith guys the aerosmith guys were like look at this this guy he's gonna he's gonna bite it and then he's gonna cost us a lot of money so oh, sure. they, they took it not it's, not aerosmith themselves but no, their but tour the, manager. <laughs> tim, yeah. tim, tim collins and, <laughs> and said tour manager steven tyler's throwing your bike into a pit while singing yeah. walk this way at the same time, <laughs> right, right. Were they? Was it when when you were first? Uh, did you did you realize that the sound that you guys had that you were creating this kind of new innovative thing, or was, was it influenced just, by BMX? Yeah. <laughs> was all, all the early songs were about mm. dirt bikes, right? Um, mm. Did you was, did, did you have any concept of that at the time, or was it just like gig to gig? You're just trying to get through it. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying. So was all those songs influenced by... No, I'm saying like at the time when you're touring with Aerosmith and you're opening, are you thinking that there's this grander thing that's happening at that point? Or are you just I, like, no, we're just playing because it's fun? I mean, well, you're aware that, you know, <clears throat> you're you're sort of, uh, you're growing on that. You know, you've, you've gone from playing this size venue to this size venue and when you come you come on stage and people actually know who you are yeah there's a point there where they didn't have any clue who you are and why are you taking up space about <laughs> precious energy wasting our time and then eventually it starts to catch on and it was at that uh during that aerosmith run where it was really peaking but way beyond what i was conscious of you know all i knew is we get out there and people actually knew what that song was or what this song was and it was a lot of fun yeah. and then it turned 
turned into something else afterwards, but I didn't know it was going there at the time. Were you touring a bunch before Appetite came out? We, that, that, that record was out for a year and a year and a half before anybody really oh, paid really? any attention to it. Yeah. Oh, wow. What was it? What broke it? was it? a record. No. <laughs> <laughs> a record. No, what was record. it? What broke it? I mean, it was know, like an MP3 file. But no, flat. I think yeah, yeah. it had a cool. <laughs> it had a cool sort of underground kind of buzz that 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 was you know slowly growing over that year period, and I think you know as much as I hate to admit it, I think the thing that really broke it open. Uh, you know, like made it sort of cross over was the whole MTV, MTV. Sweet Child of Mine thing, yeah, oh, wow. which I didn't see coming. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love. I, I always want to find out from like, the, the idea that a guitar player has an identity and that there's a specific sound. I mean, I'm. I don't really understand everything about music, so I think well, there's only a finite number of sounds that someone can have. But how? How do you find your identity in a sound and a style, and what is it that you think defines, like, oh, that's a that that that's that guy, or that's, that's that guy? Well, like, you know, um, I, let's not talk about me because I don't have any idea what goes on there. But when I when I was first picked up the guitar, um, you know, there was definitely. You know, before I even knew what different guitars sounded like, I, I identified sounds with the look of the guitar of the guy that was playing it. Uh-huh. Right. So, so you know, you had your guys like Eric Clapton who were very uh, identifiable uh, sonically, and <clears throat> Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, uh, Keith Richards, Mick Taylor, Brian Brian Jones. Uh, I could start doing Rick Nielsen, <laughs> ACDC. They all had a, a identifiable sound, and you would. I mean, that's really the thing, most important aspect. It wasn't even technically how great they were. It's just that they moved you when they played and that you could recognize who they were just by listening to them. And then you sort of like, well, I want to be like that. And so you sort of see which one has a sound that you want to emulate and what kind of guitar do they use. Because technically you have no idea. Right. You know, uh, Jimi Hendrix is one of those guys where, you know, there's a, a sound that you can hear a mile away. Yeah. And so I, I think I sort of identified... I mean, I'm, that's looking back. I don't think I was really conscious of how it all worked in my mind at the time. You know, I mean, but that was the process. This guy's cool. He's got a cool, cool songs, cool solos, and this is uh, the guitar that he uses. And that's something. Somehow, that must work. <laughs> you know? It's kind of it's kind of fortunate that this this scene sort of sprung up at the right time for you, because otherwise, you could have just been a troubled kid. You know. Like, I, well, I mean, it wasn't the scene so much, but um, I think it was probably inevitable. Because of the amount of music background that I had, it was just waiting to get uncorked. I don't think I had a, uh, I had any aspirations to. Um, I mean, my my main ambitious ambition, I think, was to become a, a motocross racer, mm-hmm. but I could never afford it. Right. Yeah. So you know, I, I didn't really have. Still to this day, I don't look much farther than next year <laughs> so i don't know but what in, i'm doing but in that time were you like going to see a lot of bands play like before yeah. you started the band like yeah what the, were those bands who were those well, i mean well like, uh when i started as a teenager going to my own rock concerts yeah. you know void as opposed to and yeah. stuff um it was like aerosmith i remember going to van halen you know the the cheap trick the ted nugent those bands that were all happening at that time and then there was a lot of what was going on in the club scene which yeah. was a little bit different you had um, you know, Black Flag was playing, X was playing, Fear, which was still is one of my favorite bands yeah. of all time. You ever see that footage of them on uh, SNL? 
on SNL. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah, think so. John Belushi like leaving. became a huge fan. Yeah, maybe yeah. I have seen it. Yeah, it's uh, I like think I remember leaving being on. They, they 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 it's not available. Like it's really hard to find because they kind of like they cut they cut it out of any repeats. But John Belushi became like a huge fan when he was living out here. He became a huge fan of Fear yeah. and like became friends with Lee Ving, the singer. Yeah. And uh, and like just like he was going to come back to host SNL after he had left, and he convinced Lauren Michaels to have Fear play. And so the people, the music bookers were like, well, we oh, can't have, it's, it's like a really cool story. It's like, it's like, we can't have like New York, like hardcore kids and punks like coming to see like fear at SNL. <laughs> because well, it'll, it'll mess with the rest of the, yeah. it'll just be like too crazy. And so like they heard about the DC scene at the time, which was like Minor Threat and uh, Rise of Spring and all these bands that were like straight. So they're like, let's get these sober kids to come up <laughs> from DC. <laughs> And then they'll be the audience for the fear show. Well, they but don't drink, so they're probably really calm. That's the thing. It's like they're like they had no idea that they would be even more crazy. And then like right when they start playing, they just it was like a Halloween show. They pick up like all the jack o' lanterns on stage and smash them, and it's just a chaos. Well, the thing is, is they're all sober, so they're tireless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like yeah. they're like ever ready. Alcohol know? is a depressant. It does take. Yeah, the, you, 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 yeah. you have you have like that first half an hour of full on, you know, <laughs> and then you start to wind down. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I like fear and like I guess the Germans was around. That yeah, same the germs. Yeah. yeah, so that was like that was like the sort of the club scene, and then as it got into you know seventy nine eighty, then you had Nikki's old band London, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool, and like the sort of post Van Halen sort of glam scene yeah. that came along. So it was all pretty exciting. Well, how what is the difference for you in the? Because I, I I also am very interested how a band stays together. Because as comics, you're just yourself, and you go up and you don't rely on anyone. But when you want to just play like music, a DJ. Yeah, like a DJ. Exactly, like a DJ. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I started to realize that yeah. lately. Especially yeah. when you didn't have to bring your own records. You bring your laptop <laughs> and your Serato. You don't have to go to the Linda Ronsack concert to see them put all the equipment on no, stage. No, it's just yeah. like, there's just a guy. That's why I always wonder, like, what do, why do people go to concerts just to see? I guess you just go to dance. You don't really go to just watch. No, I've but seen it's, impressive I've, DJs. I've been, I've been to a lot of these, and... and uh, and I especially, I went to Ultra Festival. I actually played there. And it was, you know, this is a massive, massive festival, like any of the biggest rock concerts you've ever been to. And, and I, you know, and I'm checking it out. And the people all pointed in that direction. It's not like, here's a guy over here you know, spinning some music, and there's this huge pit of people just dancing, not in any particular direction. They're all facing the DJ. Yeah. And, and they build these, these very extravagant stage setups. But there's just the one guy who yeah. you can barely see. And he's just sort of standing there, raises his arm every so often. And, and, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of like uh, production people, roadies and whatnot, that I know from my gigs. Like, what are you doing here? And it's like, it, well, it's work, you know? Yeah. It's like there's no, there's no equivalent to this, except with the exception of a couple of big rock bands, Metallica or whatever, going on right now. So it's like, and it's also, it's like, that's where all the kids went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like the roadie used to bring out another guitar, he runs on with a flash drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Hands to the guy. Well, they, uh, in that, uh, the... He's got one in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that, uh, that uh, Steve Coogan movie about Factory, uh, the uh, 24-hour party people, yeah. Like he has that. There was that part of the thing. He's like, and then I realized like there was a bunch of people in the club. Everybody's like dancing, but they're all looking at a DJ. And yeah, he's yeah, like, he's yeah. like, and that, that's where the money I was. Mean, they, yeah, yeah. And it's weird in there. They're all sort of staring in that direction. And I see tour managers I worked with before, and, and managers, you know, all hanging around, mostly English dudes. And and uh, they're like, well, it's where the money's at. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, ah, oh, it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going, I'm going to the different. This is Miami, so I'm going to the different hotels and these different 
different parties and, and sort of just hanging out. And I got people walking up to me going, oh, man, you're so from so-and-so. And he said, I was so into that. You know, but then, but then lately there hasn't been much to listen to, so I'm into this now. You know, I'm like, uh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you can listen to both. Yeah. No, no, no. But that was when they were, you know, like at this age. Oh where yeah, they're yeah. At Now there's like there's nothing currently going on. So yeah. So the idea of keeping a like when you when you just want to play, you just want to. Uh, we have a job. Let's just go up. We want to play. We like to play music. But then uh, other stuff gets in the way. How do you keep, you know, like, how how do you keep a band? Like, how do you, what are the politics of a band? Like, what are the politics of a successful band? Oh, dude. I I think it's different for, for every every group, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think the universal thing is you all got to want to do it, you know. You, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot less glamorous than everybody, at least what it looks like in magazines. Um and and you got you all have to be you have that sort of common idea that you want to do this and love it, and then the rest of it's really personal. It's you know each band has their own internal dynamics and you know how how they work together and all that kind of stuff. So I can't give you a quick overview of how yeah. it works. Okay, well, how did it work for you? Well, we split up. I know, <laughs> I know you guys. I know you guys split up, but but up what, until then it was exactly what I said. It was just the the like minded ambition to go out there and and do our thing and we were all basically on the same page does uh, does fame and success kind of ruin people or do you feel like they just come in with the issues they had um no i think i mean in a lot of cases fame and success bring people around you that help ruin you. <laughs> you end up with a lot more people around you than you started with and they have different agendas i mean than what you initially started out with i don't think i mean at least for me personally it was never about fame for fame's sake or money for money's sake or any of that stuff it was really purely about music still is but then you get these people around you that have a completely different agenda it's, it's totally financial oriented and yeah, you know, you have to be smart at a young age to be able to. Well, you have to to be able to see where those people are coming from. You know, usually you can you can spot them, but it's the real insidious ones <laughs> that just sort of yes you to death, and you think they're you know trustworthy, and you know in some ways they are, but in a lot of ways they're they they're thinking for themselves. Well, even at that time, because I think <clears throat> I think young artists now are probably much more. They're very money oriented. Much yeah. more like <laughs> it's a whole different industry because now, yeah. now so many people have to like a lot of people have realized like oh you kind of have to just take control of your own thing yeah but now it's like well what should I play so that we can become famous oh that's yeah. true <laughs> but, but don't you feel like it was like that back then too like especially with you know like once you know when fucking hair metal was popular I'm sure a lot of bands were like oh we need the we yeah need crazy I, hair. I always hated that scene anyway. yeah I'm sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's I mean, why it's always, we were like in the midst of that we always hated it um, that's why I like every time I see a guy that's really into Pantera I like to show him early pictures pictures of those guys when they were in a hair metal band when they were the glam thing <laughs> yeah, yeah well i mean every i mean let's be let's be truthful every single um music you know like band or artist at some state well, at their earliest stages were much like what was happening at the time you look at the beatles and they always said that yeah you mods. look at the stones they look like the beatles you look like the kings, <laughs> the kings so it looks yeah. Like, yeah and and so it always happens but then you sort of evolve your own style and you become very much yourself mm -hmm. and and uh, but with the you, you know with the hair that whole hair scene um you know from from my vantage point being in the midst of it like we were like the antithesis of all those bands so we hated them um and you know most of them were they were in it for the booze and the chicks and and whatever cash they could get mm -hmm. and some sort of notoriety notoriety there wasn't a lot of substance 
musically in that scene. But then, of course, there was individual bands that were really cool here and there. You know? yeah. Do you think, uh, like, going to see some of those shows of, like, like Black Flag and X and stuff like that, and then also having, like, a, a, a you know, foot in the sunset strip scene, like, kind of gave you, like, Well, the Starwood was playing them both. Oh, really? Yeah, the Starwood and the Whiskey had, you know, you had... <clears throat> you had like your Quiet Riot and your your bands like I was talking about London and Exciter and a couple of those other bands and then the next weekend you could have the Germs playing so oh, wow. it was all sort of going on at the same time. Hmm. Wow! Did um, when you sort of when you sort of look back, how did you guys? How did you break up? How does a band break up? Is it done through lawyers? How do you break up? Is it you're, lawyers? You're, or you're, you're going into no man's land. Am I really? I don't talk about this stuff. It's it's only because it's become. Oh, well, a bigger, then don't talk about a bigger it. subject than it don't is, talk about it turns then. out negative. And I don't care. Don't you know, talk about that. That's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> talk about dinosaurs. Okay. But I, but I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, obviously much more fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, uh, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm sure you've been no, through no, that, no. Through I've that been, a, I, a million I, times. It comes up all the time. Well, only, but just you, from experience, I've just gotten to the point where, you know, it, it's, it's not worth it's talking about. I mean, my, 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 my fascination of it is only from the, performer side of I really do think that a group dynamic like I you know I look at the Rolling Stones I'm like how the fuck do they like how does a band like that stay together for that many decades and still have the same how did they you They're know only well, together on stage I, you yeah, know what I guess you, <laughs> there's there's no unless you actually have you know because I mean what what you see on the surface and what goes on internally are, are two different things. And so like, I know a lot of guys in, in a lot of different bands and I, I have, I sort of know what goes on in each one of these different bands. It's all similar and it's all very different, but you can't verbally express any of it, you know, from the outside. Sure. Somebody from the inside has to, has to say, but don't you like, when you, when even you... then you, what doesn't even cover, you're not going to get the whole picture. <laughs> don't you ever think you feel like when you see someone's, Parents are still married. You're like, wow. Well, yeah. How no. did you do that? Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like when I was a but, kid, if someone's parents were divorced, it was like their parents, they're divorced. Yeah. But now it's like they're married. Like yeah. it's yeah. still it's like more this of a is to me. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a lot like it's a lot like a relationship like that. You know, imagine I don't know if you're you don't look. I have like a girlfriend, but I'm you have a married. girlfriend. Yeah. Imagine you know three additional ones, <laughs> three, <laughs> all but with different personalities. Sure. Obviously, and big love. Just it's trying like big to, love. Yeah, trying to all work it out. Together, but then add some coke and add some booze <laughs> and add some add some wacky idiosyncratic ideals about what life is supposed to be about and throw it all together and you know put it out there. Yeah, put it on the it's, bus for it, a long it's, time. It's a balancing act. You know, I think the only thing that you you might have a, a good bond between a couple of the guys that really goes deep, maybe from childhood or something. And then there, but the the most universal thing that ties it all together is the actual. Uh, passion for music and you have that hopefully that chemistry where you musically are in touch with yeah. each other and that's what really holds it together oh, that's, go ahead, uh, do you ever uh, did you ever do that thing like when I was in bands like it was like me and my bands like would always like fight internally and then like uh, we'd be at a show and we see some other bands like just hanging out with each other like why they get along so well I, yeah, I, <laughs> and then I you talk to them they're like oh no we're fucking fighting constantly yeah, yeah. I mean really when it comes down to it the grass is never greener yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> they got it all figured but out but maybe it's not supposed to last maybe that's what's supposed to the soul of it is supposed to be like you have a moment and then you enjoy that moment and then you move on and create something else yeah there's 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 no sort of rule you know I mean the, the stones blow I mean well the who as well you know even though there's only a couple of them left yeah. um, but but in Aerosmith is another great example. And those guys, 
Um, you, you know, the Aerosmith guys I know really well, and they're awesome people, like each one of them. But they 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 almost purposely fuck with each other. Oh, really? <laughs> and then they get to the point of breaking up all the time. <laughs> Somehow they manage to reel it back in just because they want to play, huh. you know, and then they play great as a unit. It, yeah. It's something that um, none of them as individuals can find elsewhere. So it brings them back. So it's really it's always about the music. Yeah, and they don't need to they don't need to play to make money at this point, right? Um, like they're probably pretty. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I I don't ask those kind of. Well, questions. no, I know, but like I just I'm assuming that like it's <laughs> they like just do it because they, they want can, to. They can they can pretty much ride out but, the rest I mean, of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean they 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 play for the love of it, and, yeah. and the Stones are having a great time get being back together, even though it takes you know. It takes a lot of business to be able to get them to go, okay, we need to get back together and deal with each other. But once they get up there, you know, the, the magic of, of actually producing music is what keeps it going. Yeah. It always comes back to that. Yeah. If you don't dig playing, if you don't, if you're, if you don't, you know, dig playing and don't like music or just sick of the whole thing, it's really hard to come across as believable. <laughs> 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 you know? Well, it's like when, when the police played, you know, it was like they were getting... I don't remember how much money it was, but it was fucking ridiculous. I, 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 I saw, yeah, I saw them, uh, not live, but I saw Sting a couple times, and he was just bitter. Yeah. <laughs> this one will this end. Which is such a bummer, because you, you know, you, you think like, wow, it's so, the problems are so bad that they can't just say, guys, I know that normally we hate each other. People like our music. We're gonna get it paid a lot of money. Let's just fucking do this yeah. and let like. Boy, let's I've just... heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw uh, I saw like uh, pictures of when at the driving got back together to play Coachella. Someone like uh, put all these pictures on this one blog together of like them rolling their eyes at each other during the show. Right, right. It was oh. like they, you could tell. They just there's like... a great movie out uh, uh, called The History of the Eagles. Right, it was not a band that I used to pay a lot of attention to, but I was on the bus and this thing was this movie was playing and it was really from the the before the Eagles' inception back here in in Laurel Canyon and like when they, <laughs> a couple of them were were. Uh, in the side band for for uh, Linda Rodstown, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and, always the tying it together, and it just yeah. and it just told the whole story of of how it you know became the Eagles and who was in the band and how the, how the dynamics worked then, who got kicked out, why they got kicked out, the next phase of it, blah blah blah, all the way up until present day. It's a really fascinating fascinating movie, and there's a lot of players in it that I know very well, you know, in uh, throughout the whole story, and you're just like, you know, it's really interesting because you don't know that much about what goes on you know behind closed doors or what goes on behind the scenes with a group unless they come out and tell you yeah and they usually don't want to talk about it no. i don't want to talk about it yeah but um you know when you put out a movie like this you're just like wow you know and it's great because <laughs> you can relate to some of it yeah, yeah does it make you feel better in some instances you're like well they were really fucked up <laughs> well no <laughs> no because it's painful to watch it's fascinating but it's painful and and you know with those guys i mean they had a they had a a pretty rough and tumble period there yeah. and then they finally said fuck it and split up for was like 10 years until yeah. the hell freezes <laughs> over to yeah. it well then I guess it is really just like I mean you're right it's like a relationship and you see a couple and you don't know what their personal dynamics are like yeah. when, when they're in their homes and and I imagine you know if if a couple hates each other if someone said look you guys could go live on they top of one another in a bus for a couple of months mm-hmm. and then you'll get this money they still at a certain point they'd be like 
I just fucking can't do well, this. It's, it's like being it's it's like being a junkie. You can't tell somebody how to fix it. You have to fix it yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then not only not only do you have to fix it yourself, but but everyone's everyone has to everyone's goals have to be aligned and everyone's personalities have to be complementary and you know, just like in a relationship, I imagine if you know, the the bad combination is if you have a bunch of neurotic people and this person's neuroses rubs against this person's neuroses and then this person like and then it just creates this sort <laughs> right. of weird chain yeah. of like you're all it's chemistry I mean, it's all yeah, chemistry and you don't you don't have you know the 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 therapeutic reinforcement to learn how to deal with it <laughs> you know i mean that's the other thing is cuz like, someone took your bike well yeah yeah exactly right i mean nobody knows exactly how they're supposed to handle the situation but in the heat in the heat of the moment you just deal yeah you know however your personality sees fit to deal with it <laughs> you know? well how do you uh, i mean you seem like a pretty well adjusted guy so so how did you get to that point, or were you always pretty chill about stuff? I've always been pretty laid back. Yeah, I'm not real confrontational, so I'm not the guy that picks fights. <laughs> you know, at least in a band setting. Um, but yeah, there's there's it, it, there is whatever that happens. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe I'm too mellow. No, 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 <laughs> no listen. There's no, I mean, you know, there's no there's no shortage of uh, there's no shortage of people willing to pick up the freakout baton if right. you, if, if you don't want to have the freakouts. Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, talking about all the the sort of history living around the scene in LA and I saw all kinds of crazy crazy people that you know with their artistic entitlement you know <laughs> yeah. and I, I think I pretty early on started I don't want to be that guy you know? yeah, yeah. That's stu- that definitely stuck with me I saw some really great very inspiring artistic you know either musicians or writers or whatever it was but for every one of those there was five really crazy out there didn't make any sense, you know. And there is that sense of entitlement that says I can be like this because I'm an artist and all that kind of shit. And I was Jeez. like, I don't want to be that guy. Well, that's good. Well, and also, you know, like the people around, like you said, the people around don't do that any favors because they're like, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead, freak out. Like people will. Oh, the enablers. Yeah, the enablers. Yeah, I mean, it really is like is it, people. One become... hand on your shoulder and the other one in your back pocket. Exactly. <laughs> there, there is sort of like um, the same way that a, you know, like a like a goldfish will sort of grow to the size of the of the the bowl that it's in Mm -hmm. that it's there there is sort of a monster thing in people that they will a lot of them will monster out to the size that they are allowed to give them an inch yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, because it's you're constantly like testing boundaries oh that's okay oh i guess i can do this i guess i can do this and you really do you either need to be well adjusted or you need to have someone say like uh you're kind of being a dickhead right now can you please stop being a dickhead? (laughs) yeah i think that's the main thing that probably that needs to happen is where you can be straight flat out honest with each other from the the get-go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's important. Without having to bring in a therapist like Metallica yeah. did. Well, back in the day, they didn't have therapists, but then, yeah, Metallica yeah. brought that on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never th- saw that. Oh, you, saw ha- you had no, to see it just I, for the one I moment. Didn't, no, I didn't want to see it. There's right. one moment, though, and it's like, it's really, it's like, a, it's like you know, the therapist like is just telling him, like, it's like, you know, you guys are going on the road soon. I'm going to have to come along. Oh, and yeah, like, I heard Well, that was it. really part of the deal. And then, like, it's like, it's just, it's what you need to do. Believe me. Right. And then they're listening. They do a thing where they, like, they put down a bunch of music and then they all, you know, listen back to it and write down ideas for lyrics for James. And then like, there's, there's so like, you know, Kirk is handing James a little piece of paper, Lars hands him, and then like the guy, like, 
like reaches a bit too. It's like it's almost it couldn't have been said it better in a movie. Like he's kind of on the edge of his seat, handing James a piece of paper, and James is like what? And then grabs it and realizes his lyrics, and then kind of moves his chair. Like, <laughs> like away from I, him. I heard about this. It's, I just I never saw it because it was like I have you know my idea of Metallica, and I, sometimes too much is too much. You don't too wanna, much. Yeah. You don't want to know shit. It's an we're in an overshare yeah. culture right now. We're yeah. definitely in an yeah. overshare culture. Yeah, <laughs> I was excited because I you know I I love that 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 uh, year and a half of the life of Metallica the thing they put out because it was just like it was them how you wanted to see them just fucking getting wasted and just fucking goofing off and like messing around with each other recording and getting pissed off and then I was like can't wait to see this next one and yeah, it was right. just like Dave Mustaine crying it's so not like the, to, to do anything for a long period of time when you're young you don't really think about that stuff but do anything for a long period of time so it just it's a process of becoming unsexy to make it happen well, eventually well the thing is is whatever it is that you you end up doing however you handle it like i mean as far as i'm concerned because i'm I'm more of a a fan than anything like i i I love what i do and it's got it's got it's sort of like how you deal with it and all you know it's got its own pressures and whatnot but i got into music more as a fan so i still look at it from a fan perspective there's just shit you don't want to know and so you have whatever you have to do in your own personal world <laughs> you don't need to put it out there necessarily you don't yeah. need per- personal yeah. stuff some people find it interesting some people find it helpful because it deal- helps them deal with their own problems whatever but in the bigger picture most people just don't want to know about that they just want you to make your whatever your product is and go out and perform right it. but uh, it's, it's like when like i remember a friend of mine showed me this band uh screwdriver i was like this is great and he's all yeah these guys are nazi skinheads like oh, oh no <laughs> <laughs> why, no why do you why didn't you tell me that first <laughs> What, what, I went what? and bought the T-shirt and everything. Yeah, yeah. I got their cool logo. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like four L's. Yeah, yeah. Oh no! I didn't look at it. Oh no! Well, it's uh, quite a laugh. You guys. <laughs> Kyle's very excitable. He's our Muppet. Uh, Kyle, Kyle's like our Muppet. Yeah, yeah yours. that's yours. Right. But we're about in an hour, man. That was. Have we been here? Yeah, that it was an hour. We got a movie coming out, though, right? I do. I, we haven't even talked about. Let's that. talk about the movie before before we let. You go. Yeah, I'm a great, great promoter. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I got this movie called Nothing Left to Fear, which has turned out really great. And I'm really stoked about it. And it opens uh, Friday here in Burbank at okay. the AMC 16. Oh, nice. But then we have we have a, a, a screening for it, a, a public screening, where we're going to do a Q&A. Me and the director, Anthony Leonardi, are going to do a after the movie, and we're going to go up and take questions from the fans and nice. all that so it's it's been a lot of fun it's been a, quite an interesting process producing my first horror film and that's have, oh, that's fantastic so what did you do uh did did he come to you or did you guys how, how did you guys get to come together um well i mean initially what happened was i had a, a i don't know however many halloweens ago like f- five halloweens ago um i had this great extensive conversation with a producer about horror because this is a subject I never get to talk about with any of my my friends or my wife or anything. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk to me about that shit. <laughs> and so, but I've a huge horror buff since I was really little. And so we had this conversation about horror at this apartment of his where he does a very elaborate Halloween party. You know, like one of the coolest, like you know, like like uh, from a visual standpoint, the stuff that he puts.
puts up and all that stuff. Oh, nice. So we had this conversation, and, and he goes, you know, you should be a producer. And I was like, yeah, right. Anyway, so <laughs> – and so – but then he, he kept nursing this idea, and, uh, and we kept in touch. And over the course of a year, he started sending me a lot of scripts. And I can read scripts, and so I get really into these scripts. And eventually, I would uh, – pick out the ones I liked and picked out the, the ones I didn't like or throw those away and tell him why I didn't like them and so on. And finally, we picked this one story that seemed like it was really doable. And that was, it's nothing, nothing left to fear. Wow. And so we said, okay, let's do this. And off we went and we announced Slasher Films at Sundance like uh, three and a half years ago or something like that. And then we started developing the script and, and, um, and then started looking for directors and I met bunch of different directors but picked anthony leonardi uh who's just an immensely talented young guy and uh next thing you know we were you know casting wow. and doing the whole and I'm, I'm one of those people a real busy body so i had to be involved with every aspect of this and scored the soundtrack oh, and, nice. and uh, did the theme song for it and all that kind what's of it shit. about it's in a nutshell without sort of letting the yeah. cat out of the bag um it's about a a, a young god-fearing family who, um, you know, basically are invited to relocate to this small rural town called Stull in Kansas, basically so that the father, who's a pastor, can take over the congregation from the pastor that is existing because he's going to retire. But it turns out the whole idea was a, a front for a way more sinister plot. Oh, that sounds like fun. But, uh, it's a cool sort of old school kind of movie. Yeah, like I was going to say it sounds like when it's like, a, hey, we're move, we're going to move to this town. Yeah, and then yeah, like yeah. there's a skeptical kid. Or, you know, there's yeah. that well, children of the corn. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. quite like that. But it's it's one of these things where. Um, it's really about developing the characters and sort of the the drama before it turns into a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I was always turned into was I always thought, you know, of like in the seventies especially, horror movies were these sort of very involved where you really got to understand each of the characters and there was a, a, a sort of a history mm -hmm. going on and you get to know these people and it was just a drama that all of a sudden took this horrific turn when people yeah. had attention that's movie. when yeah. people had attention spans yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is this is along those lines so it, it really you, you get to know the family and you get to know the people in the town you get to know the the pastor that brought them there oh, and all that kind of stuff and it in, and then all of a sudden it just sort of like takes a weird little shift yeah. and then it just goes rampant from there on uh that's that's uh did you see um the last exorcist i did yeah, yeah. that was that was a very the big exorcism. surprise or the last exorcism yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they a, came out with the second one. I said, well, I thought they had the last one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the yeah. really last yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. for, for real this guy. Yeah. For, for real this yeah. time. Yeah. The second to the, – this is the ultimate. Yeah. But yeah. I, I love – not to give anything away, but I love that that movie like, you know, started off as one idea and then slowly turned yeah, into exactly. that. And then by yeah. the end of it, you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, you, you get know? sucked into it. And the, you know, the main thing is you start to develop you know, more or less an empathy for the people, you know, the different characters in the movie so that when it goes off – you actually feel something that they're yeah, going through because exactly. most most characters in horror movies these days are, are pretty disposable from the get go. You know, right. as soon as you walk in the theater, this is what you're going to get. Yeah. Right. I hope that gorgeous each of those person living gets people, killed. Each of those living people are going to die. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, a final destination is a model for that. Yeah, but there's, there's yeah. That, there, there was that really there was that period of horror where they were really almost these weird Christian morality tales of horror of like, oh, those kids having premarital sex, they're going to yeah, die. Yeah. Oh, those are, <laughs> that was like know, the, the yeah the slasher movie. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, and those, I mean, some of those movies are really good, and it's, 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 you know, and they're fun. Yeah, you know, I've seen some some good ones, and I've seen some really bad ones, and I've seen some some really disconcerting, <laughs> you know, torture porn ones where 
you're just like, I'm glad that the the writer has this outlet. You know, (laughs) 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 know? know, it's like like I really want you to see graphically how we're going to do this. So it's all going to be very very slow and painful. I love I loved it. I really like the period in the '70s where you know they had to get inventive because they just didn't. The effects weren't that great. So there was a a lot of stuff that you did that you would never even see. But that's that's one of the cool things. I mean, probably unbeknownst to them at the time, it's it's like it's that sort of has that mystique of what you don't see, which re- makes you rely on your imagination, which is the darkest place on the planet. Yeah. And so when you have to evoke stuff from there, it, it paints a really dark picture and you didn't have to spell it out. Yeah. You just sort of like give the suggestion or the idea of something that's going to happen or what, it, what, you know, like, I know that happened. I didn't see it. And then your mind tells you what it would look like. Yeah, and, yeah. And I like that a lot better. I, I, I like to be sort of engrossed in uh, from a psychological point of view of just sort of like, you know, the suspense of, of waiting for, you know, something to happen, but not necessarily seeing what it is, but you know what it was. And that makes it that much scarier. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. what I love so much about Ty West's movies, like uh, House Ty of West the Devil great, and yeah. then Innkeepers. It's just uh, the same kind of thing where it's just mostly tension and just like, fear of what might happen yeah, yeah. or what you might or see or what's going to happen I mean there, yeah. there was a movie called The Strangers that came out that I just oh, happened yeah. to see by mistake one night because I during the I'd say well I was pretty inebriated for most of the 90s but <laughs> I stopped watching <laughs> me horror. too I stopped watching horror movies like uh, from the 90s through the first half you know like say when I say first half first half of the first decade of the millennium yeah. let's put it that way because <laughs> they were all very predictable and and whatnot yeah, they but i was best. flipping channels one night uh and hanging out on the couch and there was a movie that was just starting so i said okay let's check this out and it was in Liv tyler was in it and so i just watched it and it was one of the most suspenseful you know movies i'd seen in a really really long time and it does you don't really get it till the very end of it you know yeah and it was that was a remake right the strangers yeah I, not that i know of was it, or am i thinking about uh no, think funny games funny games is a remake but they came. They both came out around the same time, right. which had a Fun, very similar. Funny yeah. Games, if I remember correctly, is a remake. Yeah, um, yeah, but it was similar like people in the house and then people yeah. coming in. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, what was I getting at? Oh, and Rosemary's Baby was one of my favorite oh, yeah, movies yeah. when from way back in the day. And this one sort of is that kind of a thing where you just sort of like what's going to happen what's how gonna fun happen? is anything going to happen yeah <laughs> is this still a horror movie <laughs> how fun to drop Rosemary's Baby on people though because like now if you did a movie like the people go oh this is like Rosemary's oh. Baby but to drop that then people right. would be like what the fuck <laughs> you know yeah, you you were just about to say something. Oh no, no, I was thinking, but I already said it. Never mind. Oh, I was getting into the Rosemary's Baby thing. But it, but just the idea that 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 you know how fun in the in the you know sixties and seventies where you could actually really surprise people cinematically with horror because they hadn't been surprised. Well, in that, that was way a yet. particularly gruesome story for that time. That really got under people's skin because you you you're talking about a baby. I mean, that's a sort of you know sacred subject Uh, you know and the whole you know and the people and even the husband all in on it you know and like that really makes people uncomfortable that's why religion is such a popular subject in 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 general for horrors because that's supposed to be a safe place yeah (laughs) you know at least you know in in ideally you know that's that's supposed to be a safe place and then what happens is you put your trust and faith in the and it turns around to to fight (laughs) you and it's no good it's like Cujo that, that fucked with people too. Yeah. <laughs> That's your family dog. Yeah. <laughs> Cujo was such a fucking great one. And too. 
and the ocean. When Jaws came out, everybody was like fine with the ocean until Jaws came out. <laughs> yeah, it's like you take the places where people like to feel where they feel most at peace. Of, yeah, especially yeah, in your own home. You know, like we're talking about the strangers. Yeah, and you got home invasions. Those are the kind of things that really get under people. When a stranger skin. calls. Yeah. Get out of the house. The call's coming from inside the house. Or Omen, which was one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Oh, the fucking original Omen was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the uh, most well-told stories and and original. And Gregory Peck was great. So it was like a feature film that, you know, and you had, and he's in, you know, he's, what was he? He wasn't, he was the secretary. uh, Of defense or something? No, no, no. He was the, he was the ambassador to the U.S. in, one of the European. Are you talking about countries. like this, the the one with Sam Neill? No, no, no. The, oh, the original, the original one. Yeah, because the, the original. Because in the Sam, like the Omen was one of the first when I first started to understand. Like, oh, these are a, a franchise of these things. Because I did the second one where Damien's like in boarding yeah, yeah. school, yeah. and then they did the Final Conflict. I think, which is where Sam Neill, like, he's yeah. going to be president and he's going to fucking blow up the yeah. world. It was, it was like just watching. But the first the, one, he Gregory Peck played uh, whatever Thorn, and. Uh, he was in, uh, the uh, U.S. ambassador for, I don't know if it was Germany or it wasn't France. But anyway, so – and there's his wife and they have this new son. It's all per- perfect. They've got this great big house. And then you find out that your your newborn son is the son of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a bummer. And, was and, you know, that's, and then get told that he's going to you know, uh, uh, create en- enemies on, on both sides till man exists no more. So he's in the world of politics. And that was yeah. great, yeah. great. You know, really well told and great story. Yeah, weaving religion into politics yeah. and then making, and that's what all the 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 uh, the sequels were. Right, was him. You know, first he's going to a military school. He's a little older, right? Yeah, and he and he, you know he's coming up, and then finally becomes president. And uh. yeah. would you ever want to remake? Would you ever want to make a film like that, or do you like do you want to stick to There's, original? A lot of movies don't need to be remade, and it's really really disenchanting when people do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and make them a lot worse. It really cheapens the original. Some stuff you can find really old stuff that can be remade. I mean, I think the thing was a good remake. I thought the thing. And are you talking about Char- Carpenters? Or yeah, the one Carpenters. That just came out? Carpenters. Yeah, yeah, which was I guess pretty cool. But Carpenters is the, probably the best remake of all time. Yeah, well, that and, and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. with uh, Donald Sutherland. Donald, well, that was a good one too. And I, I'm sure if we sat here, we could think of a couple. I thought uh, the uh, remake of Night of Living Dead. Was uh, not so bad. Was pretty good. It was uh, done by, um, holy shit, I'm forgetting the makeup artist. There were so many Night of the Living Dead or, or Living Dead ones that oh, I can't even tell. Was there actual remake of the original, or are they because it was a remake of the yeah. original? Um, it was a uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Tom Tom Savini. Oh, okay, yeah, Savini did it, and yeah, Tony Todd was in it, and it was like you know it. It was just as slow and just as uh, it was really good, yeah. and then they but they made the uh, the female lead a little bit less of a babbling idiot. Like she was like a little bit more strong right. by the end of it. So I never saw it because it was. I, I think there was a there was a, a long string in the eighties of Return of the Living Dead, which I think is which great. was great. Yeah, but, but the there was a bunch the, of other ones. But yeah. they got, they got a little but silly. Yeah, the, and I the, think James Gunn's uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake is great. Dawn of the Dead, the Dawn uh, of the Dead remake. Is but phenomenal. the Day of the Dead remake is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Dawn of the Dead when it came out, um, but uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original, I saw with my mom, and it was a double feature with The Exorcist. Oh, Jesus! So I was, <laughs> I was, like I said, I got weaned on horror really, really early. Yeah, but um, we saw it in the back of a Volkswagen at a drive-in. Her and her girlfriend, and me in the back seat. And the, the original Night of the Living Dead just scared the hell out. Exorcist had nothing on the Night of the Living yeah. Dead. Yeah, it was because it was so raw and it was so 
like you know ominous yeah you know and looked the, like news and, footage and the people you know as zombies looked just like it you know and it was just like a lot of inf- but the the thing that that made the biggest impression on me was the the daughter with the spade oh yeah yeah pleading you know and not really believing that her daughter was a zombie yeah and then her just coming just, <laughs> and that's always stuck with me so yeah. i have to check out the new one because i i think if the new one came out in 1990 i wasn't around yeah <laughs> yeah but it's like you know it's i like the fact that it was tom savini and it was produced by uh, i got Romero. to meet him recently oh really yeah. starstruck he yeah. seems like a like a real weird he, dude no he was really very um animated and 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 uh like you know con- con- conversation Conversationalist, yeah, yeah. some for want of a better word. I was really sort of taken aback. Yeah. I was expecting a much more dark individual. But, yeah. <laughs> I like to think that he's just like Sex Machine, his character from uh, from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> you might get disappointed. <laughs> no whip. Well, this was right. great, man. I really appreciate you coming this is and hanging great, out. Do you do this here all the time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's a great space. Yeah, I mean, just I'm to coming to down out. every week. No, yeah. you can come out every week. You can come out and look at the comic stacks, and then we took That's over. That's what I'm going to do. We I'm took gonna... over the space next door, and we do live shows downstairs, and it's it's fucking. It's this has been like a when you're a kid and you go. Someday I'm going to have a clubhouse and we're going to make shows and have comics and do live shows. Like, this is literally everything. You, you, I, Jonah yeah. produces a Wednesday night stand-up show. You can come in and watch stand-up. People yeah, are playing Dungeons and Dragons out on the Wait, sun. Uh, David uh, Kechner comes up. Kechner? Yeah, yeah, he's comes a friend by. of mine. Oh, yeah, nice. He's told me about this and I just haven't come down. Yeah, he's done it And a he bunch. came to my last show, so I have to come down and check him out. Yeah, next time he's on. But uh, you know, this, you this know. place used to be a, a, a baby supply. Was, oh, was it? Yeah, it was, a, it was a baby supply store for a long time. Wow. Yeah. Like you could buy cribs babies? and oh, you could buy cribs. cribs. Yeah, yeah. Baby, baby. No supplies. Oh, supplies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there was supply babies. Okay. <laughs> there was yeah. a supply back up, back up babies. Can we get the baby stack? Yeah, yeah. Now, when it was a hardware store. It was, was a hardware store before it was a baby supply. Right? Yeah. Originally, this whole building was a bakery. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because yeah, in the back where the theaters, there were all these extra, just structures hanging down from when they it was there was like hardware, like right. when they basically stored a lot of the hardware. But yeah, uh, yeah. how long has Gaston been here? Ninety. He's what? been here almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. And yeah. you know Tower Records, right? Yeah. Or Tower Records, Tower Video. Tower Video is being turned into a bank, but before it was Tower <laughs> Video, it was a, it was like a, one of those uh, stereo supply, I can't even remember the name of it, it's been so long, stereo supply stores, you know, yeah. where you go in and you buy yeah. speakers and all that kind of, and then, but when I was a kid, it was a, it was a go-go bar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Weird, and I I used to always want to go in there. I was like six, seven years old. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> on the dirt bike. So I, whenever I look at it, when I used to work at Tower Video, I always thought of it that way. Oh, it's like funny. a naked girl stood here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins also worked at that Tower Video. Are you serious? Yeah, Bo- Bob Hoskins. No, no, no. no. Paul, oh. Paul F. Tompkins. Oh, oh, oh. Bob Hoskins. <laughs> yeah, Bob Hoskins. It was, he was right researching after, a role for like it was, ten it was years. Like right before I worked. There. Yeah, yeah. Who's right? Who's researching Roger, Roger yeah, Rabbit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks. You're welcome back anytime you want. Yeah, man. Well, I, I'm going to go down and shop now. Yeah, yeah. Go down and shop. And uh, and please, come I back. I can see it now coming home with a truck full of this stuff. Hey, honey. <laughs> what did you do? Because I got more of that stuff we just sold. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking about... I'm thinking about having my birthday party this year at the Natural History Museum. You can rent out wings of the Natural History at Museum. The, at the LA one? At the LA you one. Should. Trust me. I mean, there. go check it out before you, you know, because it's, it's rad. If I uh, do, would you would you come to my birthday party? If I invite you, would you come to my birthday party? I, I might. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. Oh, no, I'm busy no it's day. more of a schedule thing. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, is, I'm sure. Yeah, when is right. your birthday? Everyone's, I'm sure everyone's got a schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately, my birthday's right before Thanksgiving, which come, which fucks everything up every year. I like will be it. in South America. Oh, could you come back? I will, but it won't be your birthday. Shit. But I'll come back here and I'll bring you some. <laughs> okay, I'll bring you that. some, some uh, South American something. <laughs> South American dinosaur bones. <laughs> just a hollow femur or just something. Oh, yeah, right. Something. All right. Uh, thanks. Enjoy your brood, everyone. All right, man. Goodbye. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 